Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. It is great to see all of you here today. I want to welcome anyone who may be new to our church. And I also want to welcome our elementary kids. We're excited to have you worshiping with us this morning. And I also have to say, it is great to have the brass ensemble and the man plaid choir up here. Uh, You guys have added a lot to this service. We really appreciate it. Now, as I get started here, I want to put a really big number up on the screen, and uh, I want to see if any of you can identify this number. Are you up for that? Okay, let's get this number on the screen. There it is. Now, that's a lot of zeros, and to save you from counting, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're looking at a one with 12 zeros after it. So, anybody know what that number is? The correct answer is one trillion. If you said that, you're right. And I wanted that up on the screen this morning because I want us to think about this number in terms of dollars. Do you have any idea what you could do with a trillion dollars? In case you're not sure, I'll I'll give you a few suggestions. Here's one thought. If you had one trillion dollars, you could buy a house for every man, woman, and child in the country of Ireland. The population of Ireland is 4.8 million people, so that's a lot of houses. But that's only one idea. Here's another one. If you had a trillion dollars, you could easily buy any team in the NFL. Uh, Maybe you could take over the Bengals and whip them into shape. But you know, why stop there? With a trillion dollars, you could buy the entire NFL. But not only that, uh, you, you could not only buy the NFL, you could also buy up all of Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, and NASCAR, and still have well over three-quarters of your fortune left over. Are you starting to get an idea of how big this number is? I'll give you one other way to think about the value of a trillion dollars. Let's say you live another 50 years. If that happens, you could spend $54 million every day for the rest of your life and still have money left over to leave to your kids. So basically, $1 trillion is a whole lot of money. But why am I talking about this? Well, I'll tell you. I want us to understand how much money we're talking about here before I share a little statistic with you. Are you ready to hear this stat? Here it is. Worldwide, we spend over $1 trillion each year at Christmas. $1 trillion. Does that surprise you? It surprised me. Now, that number does include a lot of things. It includes decorations, food, travel, all kinds of stuff. But the largest slice of that trillion-dollar pie is spent on gifts. And we give most of those gifts to our close family and friends. So, in other words, we spend the majority of that money on ourselves. Now, let's think about this for a second. Uh, I'm all for Christmas. I love this time of year. But Christmas is supposed to be about Jesus, right? And whatever the world may think about Christmas, the original idea was to celebrate the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, became human and he entered our world as a baby. And he became one of us because he was on a rescue mission to save a world that was lost and dying and separated from God because of sin. That's what we're celebrating right now. But you know what? 
the Bible never tells us to give each other a bunch of gifts at Christmas. And the Bible definitely never tells us to spend beyond our means and go into a lot of debt just to accumulate a pile of stuff that we don't really need. Now, before I start to sound too grinchy, uh, let me say that I have no problem with giving gifts at Christmas. Uh, We'll be doing that at our house just like we do every year. All I'm asking is this, what would Jesus say about that number on the screen? Is it possible that he would tell us to spend our money a little differently? Think about the possibilities. If we pull back on some of our spending and then funnel those dollars to meet real needs in our world, how many hungry children could we feed? How much clean water could we provide to areas that don't have it right now? How many missionaries could we support so that people around the world could hear the good news about Jesus? I believe it's a good idea to reevaluate how we approach the Christmas season. And that's actually been one of our goals here at Plum Creek during the month of December. We've been going through this series called Love Does. And we've said that followers of Jesus should stand out in the world because we're constantly showing the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is more than just good intentions. His love translates into action. In the Bible, over in 1 John chapter 3, we find a great description of the love of Christ. Let's look at that together. 1 John 3, starting with verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So you see it? He didn't just send positive thoughts in our direction, and he didn't stop with good intentions. He actually did something. He became human, and he sacrificed his life on our behalf. That is real love right there. And then for those of us who follow Jesus, what's our response? Well, this passage goes on to explain that. Let's back up and start at the beginning of verse 16 again. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And, and what? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with mere words. Let's love in truth with our actions. Now, that message applies to any time of year, but it especially applies to the Christmas season. So how could we make some adjustments to the way we celebrate Christmas? Well, actually, there's a group of Christians who have been working on this very issue. A little over 10 years ago, this group launched a movement called the Advent Conspiracy, and this movement has since spread all over the world. The founders of the Advent Conspiracy looked at Scripture, and they came up with four goals that would help us honor Christ by doing Christmas differently. I'll share them with you. The first goal is to worship fully. We need to remember that Christmas begins and ends with Jesus. The second goal is to spend less. By spending less on gifts, we can free up our resources to support things that truly matter. Goal number three is to give more. So we don't have to stop giving, we just give more intentionally and more relationally. Last week, we talked about being more present in the lives of others. 
And that doesn't cost any money, right? Then the final goal of this Advent conspiracy is to love all, to show others the audacious and radical love of Jesus. Now, if you look at these four goals, they fall right in line with our Love Does sermon series. We don't want to just talk about the love of Jesus. We want to live it out. In just a few minutes, all of us have the opportunity to do exactly that. I'm excited about putting our love into action today, but first we have a little more ground to cover. Because here's the challenge. God has not called us to participate in a one-time service project on a Sunday morning. He also didn't call us to be a part of a temporary generosity spike in the month of December. Followers of Jesus are called to live out His love every day of every month. Jesus wants us to take His mission and make it our own and then pursue that mission for the rest of our lives. But wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Every day of every month for the rest of our lives? How do we do that? Well, we can't accomplish this just by wanting to or trying hard. It only happens when you do these two things. First, you begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And second, you surrender to God's Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to love like Jesus. So, the power comes from the Spirit, and the example comes from Jesus. Let's look at that example. How did Jesus love? What what motivated Him? For the rest of our time here, we're going to focus on one particular aspect of the love of Jesus, and we're going to see what it is that turns good intentions into actions. And in order to do this, we're going to focus on a certain word, It's a word that's used over and over in the Gospels. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. Many of you know that. And I want to show you what this word looks like in the original Greek. Uh, Can we go ahead and put that up on the screen, please? There it is. She's a beauty, isn't she? Now, um, most of us have not had time to learn ancient Greek, so I want to help you out here. But I believe that it's important that we know this word. So I, I usually pull it out every few years. But let's get the pronunciation up on the screen. That doesn't help much, does it? Um, but here's how you say the word. It's splonknizomai. Splonknizomai. How about we say that all together, just for fun? Here we go. One, two, three. Splunk needs am I. I'm pretty impressed, actually. That was good. So we know how to say it, but what does it mean? Well, in our English Bibles, this Greek word is usually translated as the word compassion. But we have to be careful here because this kind of compassion is not just an emotion. So it's different than the way we often use this word. Here is the standard definition of compassion. Compassion is a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. So it's feeling sorry for someone in need. It's a feeling of concern. And according to this modern definition, compassion may be no more than a feeling. Uh, We feel bad, we wish we could help, but then we kind of go back to our normal lives. But now this Greek word, splunk needs am I, it's more than that. 
the literal meaning of this word is to be moved in the bowel. It's a pain in your gut. And it is an emotional response to the suffering of others. But in the case of Jesus, it's not just a feeling. This word shows up 12 times in the Gospels. And each time we see that Jesus does have feelings of sympathy and concern, but that emotion is always accompanied by action. So when we're talking about Jesus, a Christ-like compassion equals emotion plus action. Let's look at a few specific examples in Scripture where Jesus is described with the word splunk needs am I. First, there are several times when Jesus had this kind of compassion for people with physical needs. We see this repeatedly. Jesus encounters someone who is hungry or sick or even dead, and his heart goes out to them. He feels that pain in the gut, and then he does something about it. Jesus helps one person after another. And we read about one of those encounters in Matthew chapter 20, where it says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them. So there's that word, splunk needs am I. That word tells us that Jesus was feeling a pain just like somebody had punched him in the gut. But it doesn't end there. He he doesn't stop with a, a moment of sympathy and then go right back to his busy schedule. He takes action. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. So do you see what Jesus was willing to do here? He was on his way somewhere, and not just anywhere. He left the town of Jericho, and he was heading to Jerusalem. He was on his way to be arrested, to go to the cross. He was heading off to accomplish his primary mission, the reason that he came into the world. I'd say that's pretty important. But even though he was in the process of this important mission, Jesus was not too busy to stop and listen to these men who were crying out for help. Now, the crowd did not agree with Jesus. All they wanted was for these guys to go away. They were like, stop talking. The crowd couldn't be bothered with them. But Jesus stopped, and he showed compassion. Their pain became his pain, and then he gave them their sight. I love this story because in this story, Jesus shows us how God feels when we suffer. When I hurt and when you hurt, God's heart goes out to us. And it's not just a feeling. He's willing to do something. And that's good news for everybody. But if we look at other examples of Splunk Needs Am I in the Gospels, we see that Jesus cared about more than just physical needs. Jesus also had this compassion for people with spiritual needs. Some of these people felt lost or far from God. Some of them were trapped in their own sin, and some were too proud to realize how much they needed God. 
Jesus had compassion for all of them. Listen to this description over in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Can you imagine what that was like for Jesus? Whenever he looked out over any crowd, he knew the pain that was in every heart. He knew the the sin and the regret that every face was trying to hide. And he could meet their physical needs, but that would only give them temporary relief. So in order to help them in a way that would last forever, Jesus had to meet their spiritual needs. Every person he met had a broken relationship with God, and he was the only hope to restore that relationship. So Jesus responded with compassion. Splunk needs am I. He took action, not only for the people back then, but for everyone who ever lived. Ultimately, he did what only he could do. He sacrificed his life on the cross, and he paid the penalty that you and I deserved to pay because of our sins. And through his death, he made it possible for you and me and anyone to find forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. But here in Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus did something else too. Let's read a little further. After Jesus noticed that these people were like sheep without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, what was true back then is still true today. There are a lot of people with a lot of needs out there in the world. And it's going to take a lot of workers to go out and meet those needs. But this is where God wants to partner with us. Jesus told us to pray that God would send more workers who would take on this mission of love and compassion. And this is kind of an amazing thing, but everyone who follows Jesus today can be an answer to this prayer from Matthew chapter 9. We are called to love, not just with words or speech, but in actions and with truth. So once again, it's time to get practical. And one of our problems today is that we we just get overwhelmed with the number of needs in the world. We can't help everybody, so we just throw up our hands and say, the job is too big. And if I'm being honest, I definitely feel that way sometimes. We have so many needs just in and around Plum Creek And then once you start looking across the country or across the world, it's clear that whatever we do is just a drop in the bucket. But God never expected us to do it all. He just tells us to do our part. So let's narrow the focus a little bit. I want to give you three simple steps that every follower of Jesus can take. First, you look for a need that God puts in your path or on your heart. Just keep your eyes open. I know we hear about physical or spiritual needs all the time, but we need to be open to God's leading because you'll never know where He will ask you to get involved. And we should pay special attention to those moments when a need really connects with your heart and it makes you want to do something because God may be positioning you to go out and meet that need. So that's step one. 
The second step is to sympathize and nurture a desire to meet the need. Learn about the situation. Uh, Nurture this feeling so it doesn't stop at just being a feeling. And then finally, take action where God leads you. Do something. Love with actions and in truth. Make a difference. And don't let it be just a a one-time event or something that happens only sporadically. Allow God to build compassion into your life as a habit. And when we get to that point, we'll find that God starts using us in ways we could have never imagined. So I said earlier, we have an opportunity right now to live out the love of Jesus. And we can take everything that we've learned here and, and we can put it into practice. Now, if you've been here the past few weeks, you've heard me say that December 16th would be a special day, and here we are. Right now, we can come together and meet a real need in our community. Plum Creek is teaming up with the WISH ministry to reach out to international students up at Northern Kentucky University. You may remember that WISH stands for Welcoming International Students Home, And the purpose of this ministry is to connect with these students by showing hospitality, by building relationships, and by showing the love of Jesus. Now, before this series started, there is a chance that many of you didn't give much thought to international students up at NKU, and that certainly makes sense because most of us wouldn't cross paths with these students on a normal day. But if you've been here at Plum Creek during this series, you have heard about these students And I want to ask you, how have you responded to the need? Did you hear about these students and have compassion for them, kind of like Jesus had compassion when he saw those crowds? Well, maybe you did, and maybe you didn't. We don't always respond with the compassion of Jesus because we're not Jesus. Hopefully, we're growing to be more like him, but none of us are there yet. So let's go back to those three steps I mentioned. The first step was to look for a need, and in this case, a need was brought into your path. Just by being here, you heard about wish. But then, what was that second step? That's the one where we sympathize and nurture a desire to meet the need. Now, how do we do that? Well, one strategy is to put yourself in the shoes of the other person. So, imagine that you grew up in a country like China or Nigeria, or Vietnam, or Nepal, and you've come to the United States for the first time. You're far from home, you're far from your family, and there's a lot about this culture that seems very strange to you. I want to read you a couple of real quotes from international students who have come to the U.S. One of them said, I miss my family and my friends back home. And on holidays and anniversaries that are special to my family, I feel very alone to be here. Another one said, how can I make friends with an American? They are always so busy. I'll share just one more. One student from Japan named Hiromi said, all I ask is that you just talk with me. Just talk. But like we've shared here, 70 to 80 percent of these students will spend four years going to a school in the U.S. and never see the inside of an American home. They just go to school and then they go back to their country and that's that. Now we've also shared that many of these students come from places where Christianity is extremely rare 
So if we care about the mission of Christ, we don't want to ignore this opportunity. The world is coming to our doorstep, and they come with all kinds of needs, especially spiritual needs. These students need Jesus, just like the crowd in Matthew chapter 9, just like all of us need Jesus. We have the ability to reach out to them in the name of Christ. So that's what we're going to do here in just a few moments. We're moving to that third step. We're taking action. Now, some of us are starting to build relationships with these students, like the group that went bowling yesterday. But all of us have the chance to volunteer this morning and serve these students by assembling care packages. You can see in your bulletin that we have lots of different options. We've got uh, sorting and assembling, baking, packing, loading, all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure there is at least one volunteer station where you would really enjoy helping out. Now, we know that some of us may be short on time today, and that's why we've cut this service a little bit short. We wanted to make this project doable for every person here, and you could, make, you could be a big help by serving as little as 15 minutes, which would take you right up to the normal ending time of the service. So as soon as we dismiss, you can get your assignment from one of the four displays in the corners of the room here I'm excited to see us come together as a church and choose compassion. And I'm excited for my family to serve alongside my Plum Creek family. And I'm excited for all of our kids to see what we're doing and learn that followers of Jesus are not not content to love with only words or speech. We love with actions and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you didn't stop with good intentions. You not only cared about us, you did something to help us and to save us. We thank you that we don't have to wonder about your love. Jesus proved your love by coming into this world, by laying down his life, by giving the opportunity for hope and real life, eternal life. So Lord, help us be a reflection of your kind of love that goes beyond words and shows up in our actions. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll see that here today in just a few minutes. And Lord, if there is anyone here who has not received the gift of your love, not accepted your, your offer of grace, forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. I pray that you will speak to that person and lead them to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.